listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. It is the bonus hour of Miller and Moulton on this Thursday. Mark will be back on Monday. Thanks so much for being with us. Florida Sports Network, floridasportsnetwork.com. If you've missed any part of the show, we had Mark Packer on an hour ago. We had Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network, on at around 7.30. If you miss any of our interviews or any of our show, download it, floridasportsnetwork.com, floridasportsnetwork.com. Mark Dominic, former Bucks general manager, to join us coming up in just a moment. Aaron Rodgers is now expected. That is the word, is expected to become a New York Jet. That is the word that is coming out right now. Today is bubble day in college basketball, in many of the big conference tournaments, in which many a team is going to play their way in or out, depending on the result of games played today, much like Wisconsin likely played their way out of the NCAA tournament, losing to Ohio State in their Big Ten tournament matchup yesterday. Back to football. Mark Dominic, kind enough to join us. He talks the NFL for both stadium sports and on SiriusXM's NFL radio. You can follow Mark on Twitter, Mark Dominic NFL. That's Dominic without the C, Mark Dominic NFL. Mark, it's David. Good to talk to you again. How are you? David, good to talk to you, too. Doing well on a Thursday morning, watching things unfold in the National Football League. Always fun. All right. Here's a, here's a simple question. How good on paper are the Jets on March 9th and 10th if they add Aaron Rodgers? Because we all know they got the 13th pick of the draft, potentially, free agency, trades. But just adding Aaron Rodgers to the current Jets roster, where are they then to you? Yeah, I think they move into second place. I still think they're going to be an ounce behind the Buffalo Bills, uh, you know, because you realize, David, as you, as you know, if you're getting Aaron Rodgers, you're probably not going to end up with that 13th pick. You're not going to be able to add a lot more pieces to the puzzle of this football team, but you're certainly going to you know, jump and I think leapfrog the Miami Dolphins, the New England Patriots, but I think you're still going to be nestled maybe a game or two behind the Buffalo Bills, which will put you in the postseason. And I think that's something that obviously for New York, New York fans, that's what they want. And I don't disagree if they can make this move. I don't disagree with it. You only have such a window. And clearly, you know, when you think about Joe Douglas and how many years he's been GM now with Robert Sala now going into, what, his third year, you realize that if you don't get it done this year, you're probably fired. You're probably going to move on. So make every move. Put the chips in. We saw what happened when, you know, Minnesota gets Brett Favre and, you know, they have some success. Or, you know, certainly when you see Carson Palmer go to Arizona and suddenly they become a terrible team, they go to the playoffs and, uh, it's, it's it's a different jump when you can put a veteran quarterback in that football team. And, of course, we could make a Joe Douglas joke here in that you should probably take his first-round pick away from him because he hasn't been mm-hmm. particularly good with those, but he's been tremendous uh, once you can get him after uh, the first round. But do you think it will take 
a first-rounder. This is fascinating, right? The Jets are desperate. If I was the Jets and you were on the other end of the phone, you know I'm salivating. But at the same time, I also know that you have already moved on. You've wiped Rodgers off your big board, and you're figuring out life in the pursuit of happiness without him. So how much leverage do the Packers still have here? I think the Packers have to get that first-round pick because once they move, if they move Aaron Rodgers off that roster – you know, and, and they get to that point, um, you've you got to realize that the cap implication is so tremendous for them that they're going to need young players to be able to be on this football team to help them be able to kind of navigate, you know, not having that space, not having that room anymore for the next year because of all the, the dead cap charges they're going to get. And I think that's the thing where as many picks as they can get out of Aaron Rodgers, uh, that's what they need because that's the only way you're going to be able to navigate this next two years um, for that football team and for them to be able to, you know, get to the position where, we can survive uh, post Aaron Rodgers, but I don't think the Green Bay Packers will if they do this move. Listen, I don't have to tell you, you were in the league 20 plus years. The 70s were dominated really by the AFC with the exception of the Cowboys. The 80s were dominated by the NFC. But Mark, if Aaron Rodgers now goes to the Jets, you look at the teams and the quarterbacks in the AFC versus the teams and the quarterbacks on paper in the NFC. Has the league ever been this unbalanced in at the top-heavy position? I don't think so. I think this would be as impressive as it's ever been uh, when you think about the AFC versus NFC. I mean, think of the NFC South, too, David, right? There's no real quarterback. Now we have Derek Carr, you know, in the South. But if you think about the, you know, excuse me, NFC South, if you think about the NFC North, Kirk Cousins, maybe Justin Fields, if everything goes well. I mean, it's not like it's a, it's a who's who of guys. And I think that's the amazing thought about it all is how, uh, you know, the NFC is certainly a much easier path to get to the postseason. And I think that's why Derek Carr was really pushing for the Saints, even over the Jets, even though the Jets, I think, always had Aaron Rodgers in their front pocket. and Derek Carr was kind of their back pocket option. He's Mark Dominic. He talks the NFL for Stadium and SiriusXM's NFL Radio. You can follow Mark on Twitter, Mark Dominic NFL, Mark Dominic without the C, NFL. All right, let's talk about your former team here for a second. I've been advocating where they are cap-wise and in the division that they're in. They should actually just punt right now. They should retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it, and in a massive way in 2023. And, and that, to me, includes trading Mike Evans, who I think is a Hall of Famer. All right, if yeah, Mike you, put up the stats. You're right. I'm, if you were looking at the Bucks right now, and we all know the division's very winnable, the whole deal. But what do you do? You are you are you going forward if you're Tampa right now, or are you advocating going backwards? Well, I think you have to you know bite the bullet this year, and you realize that we're trying to go all in every year with Tom Brady and. No complaints to that, right? You make the postseason every year, you get a Super Bowl ring, you almost go to two Super Bowls, and then you get punted early last year. So you got to give credit, like, hey, look, if you're going to do it, go for it. And they got one, and that's the most important thing. But I think ownership certainly is well aware of, like, what the kind of situation is, knowing their salary cap guy, Mike Greenberg, and what he can do. I'm sure the combine was not fun for him. He was probably walking around and saying, hey, you're taking a pay cut, we're going to let you go. We're taking a pay cut, we're going to let you go, because that's the only thing they can do is kind of like slash this team down. And then you've got to figure out who are the five or six guys that we feel like are really important to keep around here through this process. And some of them are draft picks that haven't hit free agency. Some of them are like what you're saying. It could be Mike Evans. Like, we're going to hold on to Mike Evans, but we're going to trade Chris Godwin. Or it might be, hey, we're going to keep Chris Godwin and trade away Mike Evans. 
certainly has got to be in the realm of possibilities based off of where their salary cap situations are. But I think, yeah, I think Tampa has to do a reset, but it can only be about a two-year reset or that's going to be it for, you know, Todd Bowles and Jason Light because, uh, you know, Jason has been there for almost a decade. And, you know, there's one thing to get Tom Brady, and that's awesome, and that obviously changed everything. But you can't go back into, you know, the 6-11 and 11 world for a couple of years and sit there and say we're still building. And Kyle Trask, quite frankly, uh, has to show something this year because of where they've drafted him a couple of years ago. Well, and you know also, while it's a hardy fan base, it's not always a hardy we're going to show up and pay money and go to the games fan base. And so you could probably only afford one year at the box office of retooling before you have empty seats again at Ray J. Don't you think with Devin White, they're in the same situation Chicago was in with Roquan last year and they decided, nah, we ain't paying them, we're punting. Okay, I mean, Tampa, I think, is in the same position. What do you do? Yeah, I think they're not going to pay him. I think they're just going to be patient there. Um, I think they're going to try to just play this thing out and, and buy another year of it. I, I don't think that this is going to be someone that they're going to look at. I think early in his career he was playing great. and It was a difference maker and dominating and still has that ability and that capability. But I just think, again, like you're talking about, David, where they're sitting right now from a salary cap perspective, this is sit on your hands time. This isn't going to be aggressive. This isn't trying to do extensions only unless it's going to create salary cap space for you. Are you doing anything? But you also realize that every time you, you know, rob Peter and try to pay Paul, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, so it, it's, it's a situation where, again, ownership's very well aware of, of where they, they are, and they've probably put together a plan. As, that's what I would have done as a GM is like, here's our plan. Here's our two-year plan. Here's the pieces we have to move through. Here's the pieces we have to move. But here's our core in 2024, 2025, that is going to rebuild the Bucks, And thankfully, we're in a division where we can survive that. So even if Derek Carr comes in and has a good year or two and they go 11-6 and six and win the division, as long as Carolina, as long as you know Atlanta don't find that you know franchise quarterback, hopefully, for, for the Bucks' sake, uh, they got a chance to jump back in there in, in one or two years just because no one's really placed that good quarterback in for the next decade. It's kind of like you're seeing the NFC North, as we started with, if Justin Fields can really take the big step like we saw Jalen Hurts, which I don't know if he can do that, but if he can, the North can become the Chicago Bears for the next decade based off the quarterbacks that are there now currently. How much differently are you and your staff judging quarterbacks now versus how you judge them 10 years ago? Because offenses are so different. We're running quarterbacks the way we've never run them before. You know, guys who were clearly college quarterbacks are now potentially, oh, no, that can be a franchise NFL quarterback. How different is it if you're running the show now? Well, I think what we've seen is, you know, from when John Schneider drafted Russell Wilson, uh, you know, watching the success of Drew Brees through all those years, you know, the, the height thing, Kyler Murray coming in the National Football League, and it's not really been an issue in terms of being electric and dynamic. You've seen speed become such a, a big tool in the legs of Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson versus, you know, Daniel Jones, you know, using their legs to find ways to make things happen. I think you're looking at the athletes now and just saying, where are the throwing mechanics and how good are they? But I think that that's what's uh, uh, unique about it. I think the league continues to evolve around the talents of the quarterbacks, and that's the way it's got to be because that's the people that are going to make a difference. Whether you're a good head coach, we're fired. It's going to be the difference between whether you keep your GM job or you're not. And so it comes down to that quarterback spot and what you can do with them. And I think that that's why you see, you know, Bryce Young being 5'10". That's not a big deal. Bryce Young's real weight, I don't think it's 203, 204. I think that's artificial weight. Uh, but, you know, at the same point, if he can get to 190, 
It makes you, makes you a little bit more comfortable. You can put real weight on him at 190, and, and he can stay there. Maybe you can get. Maybe he can do it because he's done it at the college level. But that's the decision you have to make: is the Bryce Young weight versus you know the C.J. Stroud and the, the performance he's had, you know, as a young man at Ohio State, and certainly what he did at the combine. Mark, as always, appreciate your time and your insight. I know you're busy. Hopefully, we can do this again down the road. Miss doing the draft with you. I know, David. Good to hear your voice, though, man, and love to talk to you again. Have a great week, man. Mark Dominic, 20 years in the NFL, talking football these days, stadium sports, Sirius XM's NFL radio. Follow him on Twitter, Mark Dominic, no C, D-O-M-I-N-I-K, Mark Dominic NFL. That's how you can follow Mark on Twitter. It's funny, Jason Light before Tom Brady, I could put Mark Dominic's record as GM and drafting and what have you, and I could put Jason Light's record as GM and drafting. Not so sure Dominic wasn't the better GM, but they kept Jason Light around long enough to get a Tom Brady, and that always helps. You're listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. 21 minutes past the hour. Miller and Moulton, Florida Sports Network, floridasportsnetwork.com. Mark off until Monday. They tee off within the hour. Hit him straight there, buddy. Hit him straight. Felipe, even though he is under the weather, he is toughing it out, although he is losing coloring by the segment, beginning to cough more. He is soliciting, what is it I do about a cold in the Twitch chat room? I, I mean, you're 22 years old. You've had a cold before. I know. You're acting like this is a first-time thing. It just sucks, okay? <laughs> I have work yeah. this whole weekend. I, I, I know you do. This just in. You know, when it comes to work and weekends. you got to suck it up. All right, you're in the wrong profession. All right, no. when you first started, you were still going to school, and I looked at you and I said, "It is not too late <laughs> for you to do something else with your life." I did. You come on. No, you did. You got, no, I did. I, I told that to someone else the other day. All right, and you... I spent months looking at you, going, "Listen, you seem like a smart guy. You're a supportive, loving family. Okay, you can go a different route." Besides, you went to college for communications. You know, that's a very broad major. Not journalism. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> change that. It just lie. <laughs> Say it's communications instead because you took the same damn courses. Trust me. Essentially. All right. But uh, I told you, the whole world works Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. You will spend your whole life doing what? Working nights and weekends. And you have to be willing to accept it. Don't fall victim to, oh, it's fun and it's exciting. It's a bunch of games. Yes, no life. You now are in a relationship and you have to explain to her, I'm working a morning shift. Okay, that's that works out well. Okay, then I'm working nights with all these FGCU games. Okay, and then I'm working weekends because of all these FGCU games. Okay, that goes over really big, doesn't it, in a relationship? Well, yes, but what's, really big. what's good is that her current job and my job kind of go in tandem. Okay, that's outstanding. Sports bars. That's outstanding. Okay, here's the thing. As you get older, okay, one of you <laughs> is going to get a normal job. 
Right. Okay, and the likelihood is it will be her. Yeah, and you'll still be making no money working all these glorious shifts, traveling okay. weekends. Well, <laughs> yes, that'll also go over big. Trust me. The the you leaving town. Okay, that's cute when you're dating. Oh, okay, boy. and then that goes away very quickly. Um, all right, here. So I was just talking with Mark Dominic and talking about how top heavy the AFC is with quarterbacks compared to the NFC. And it looks like Aaron Rodgers is going to join the AFC list of quarterbacks. That's ridiculous, by the way. Just read damn ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I don't even want to get into the whole, you know, let's, let's rank them. You just name them is enough. So a buddy of mine sent me a text that said, you know, how about if we go like 1986 and you take a look at how top-heavy the AFC was with quarterbacks versus how top-heavy the NFC was with quarterbacks, and yet which conference dominated the decade? It was the NFC. And I could go through the list for you, but, I mean, even though they were younger, you had Elway, Marino, Jim Kelly, Boomer Esiason, Warren Moon, Bernie Kosar, and aging Dan Fouts. Dan had about two years left. And 86 was the year that the, the decline began. But, I mean, that's who the AFC quarterbacks were in 1986 versus the NFC had basically Joe Montana. That was it. Because if you look at the rest, that now Jim McMahon, but he was then 86 was when he started to get hurt. But you had Montana, McMahon, and Phil Sims. Okay? And otherwise, you're looking at Tommy Kramer starts to fall apart. You know, he's got... Yeah, Tommy Kramer's falling apart by 86. Neil Lomax doesn't have much left for the Cardinals. Dallas had an aging Danny White. Washington had turned things over to Jay Schrader because Theismann got hurt the year before. Jaworski was in his last year with Philadelphia. They were just about to replace him with Randall Cunningham. Yet, think of how the game was played in the mid-'80s with the exception of Bill Walsh in San Francisco, versus how the game is played now. Run the damn ball. And defense and physicality. And you could be the dominant conference. Conference. Because you had four teams, three of whom physically just kicked the tar out of you when you showed up. Kicked the tar out of you physically. And that was enough with the rule changes and the style of play and the whole deal. You look at that now, the modern rules and how the game has evolved. And imagine an NFC with Joe Montana and then, you know, Phil Simms turned into a very good quarterback, but by 86, he had only had two good years out of seven, by the way. Tommy Kramer, inconsistent. And about to fade to oblivion. Jim McMahon, very good, about to start getting hurt every year. Neil Lomax near the end. Danny White near the end. Ron Jaworski near the end. Jay Schrader, he's going to be around for an hour and a half. And, and, right, so, and that's kind of, in a way, like the NFC now. Only there's no Montana. The Montana's going to the Jets. Right, it was Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so you know now you look at the NFC in '86. 
okay, and you're looking at Jim McMahon, Phil Simms as arguably the two best quarterbacks in the NFC if we had moved Montana. Well, what are you looking at now in the NFC? Jalen Hurts. And Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Dak Prescott. Maybe. But it also Jared should, Goff. Well, hey, listen, <laughs> if Goff takes Detroit on a deep playoff run, that'd be two times in six years. I mean, he did go to, to the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. I mean, Matthew Stafford, who we're leaving out, you know, it's funny, guy gets hurt for half a season and we forget about him. Right. But Matthew Stafford's still around. But you're looking at Matthew Stafford, Jalen Hurts, Kirk Cousins, probably your top three quarterbacks in the NFC right now. And if you took Montana and moved him in 1986 to an AFC team, like we're about to move Aaron Rodgers to an AFC team, you would have been left with a conference with Jim McMahon, Phil Simms, and I don't know who number three is, to be honest with you, in 1986. Because also you had Vinny Testaverde, who was a rookie. You had Steve Young, who's kind of wandering, having just arrived in the NFL. And they're both in Tampa, I believe, because Steve hadn't been traded to the Niners yet. Okay, and But because of how differently the game was played then, it didn't matter that, I mean, this is a list of Hall of Famers. Well, who were some of the running backs in the NFC? Well, but, I mean, John Elway, Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, Warren Moon, Dan Fouts, who hadn't started declining yet but was about to in an hour. And then you throw in Boomer Esiason and Bernie Kosar. I think Boomer won an MVP in 88. That was the AFC quarterback class in 1986, and they were just showing up and getting destroyed in the Super Bowl. And most of those quarterbacks spent most of, if not their entire careers, in the AFC. Yeah, and they're all Elway's entering his fourth year. Marino's entering his fourth year. Jim Kelly entering his fourth year. Boomer Esiason entering his third year. Warren Moon, his third year in the NFL. Kozar's fourth year in the NFL. That is an interesting comparison. It's very similar. And yet, because the that's how differently the game is today versus how it was. The NFC was the dominant conference in the mid-'80s, throughout the 80s, really. And the AFC had all the good young quarterbacks. Legendary Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Yeah. And, in fact, the NFC went on a 15-year run of dominance. And yet now we're looking at it in which we're trying to think, when's the next NFC team that's going to win a Super Bowl? With, Because look at what's going to emerge in theory from the AFC for the foreseeable future. A, a terrific team with a great quarterback in all likelihood. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. Twenty-two minutes before the hour is up. About seventeen until we're out of here. Miller and Moulton, the Florida Sports Network, FloridaSportsNetwork.com. So I need to start paying attention to this uh, segment of the show a little bit more often if I'm going to have to, you know. Well, mark- you used to do this. 
I used to do one of the elements. True. I have never done the good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, this is going to sound right. really weird. I have always done what's on tap. Well, I shouldn't say always. I did it. Mark did it during our. No, today was the day when Mark did it during our first act. I did it during our second act. Mark is back doing it during our third act. Here's, by the way, how this came to be. Since I do the starting five at 638, I figured, listen, if one segment's on me, then one segment's got to be on you. So that's why it was kind of like, so you do what's on tap, you know, good, bad, and ugly, and today was the day when. And he's like, oh, okay. So, And he wanted to go back to doing today was the day when. So I'm like, good, here, take it. So that's why I do starting five three hours ago. And he does this segment. But with Mark not here, okay, I don't do good, bad, and ugly. Do you want me to do it? You got it? Do You, I, you have it. No, no, no. I don't have good, bad, and ugly. I don't have it either. I have what's not to happen. Today was the day when. I asked you if you had it, and you said yes. Oh, well, I, I made a mistake. I lied. <laughs> okay, I'll I do it tomorrow. It up. All right. I, I don't have a, a good, bad, and ugly. When I have filled in and done it, I make it a sports Good, bad, and ugly. And some people like it, and some people think that's really weak. It's possible. All right. Well, a, a good, bad, and ugly is easy. I mean, ugly would be Kevin Durant rolling his ankle. It's funny. I was going to make that the bad. Okay? Kevin Durant w rolls his ankle in warm-ups, okay, and doesn't even play in what is supposed to be his home debut. Walks out of the arena in a boot. All right. I would say the ugly is Wisconsin losing to Ohio State yesterday in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. If they had won that game, most people felt they were in the tournament. All right, that's a below 500 Ohio State team, and I know Ohio State had been playing better, and I know technically they were a two-point favorite. I don't know what to tell you. All right, that was not I'll, – I'll tell you what. I'll give an ugly to how Syracuse handled getting rid of Jim Beheim. Yeah. I did not – I have no problems at all with the decision – to move on from Jim Behan. None. That was as unceremonious. We're moving on from a legendary coach. Hall of Famer. As we have seen in sports, honestly, in which the Hall of Fame coach wanted to stay. And they were forcing him out. Okay, fine. Bobby wanted one more year at Florida State. Don Shula didn't want to leave, you know, when Heisenga told him it was time to leave. You know, we can go down the line. But to five minutes after his final press conference to say, Jim, thanks. By the way, here's the new coach. It was kind of like, we are so done with you. <laughs> We can't get rid of you fast enough. And it's not like his final season was the season that John, you know, that Patrick Ewing just threw on the board at Georgetown. What a forgettable tenure, Patrick Ewing at Georgetown, huh? He had the one run where they won the Big East tournament. They won four games. What was it? Like three, four years ago? 2019, I think it was. I think it was pre pandemic. And they won the Big East tournament. Went in as like an eight seed. And went on a run. But other than that. I but, mean, I mean, you know, Georgetown went 7-25 and 25 this year. All right? And, by the way, even Georgetown didn't, five minutes after the game yesterday, fire Patrick Ewing. I mean, they'll probably do it, if not today, they'll wait till the Big East tournament's over and do it Sunday or Monday. 
All right. I mean, Syracuse five minutes after Beheim was done with the presser. Uh, he's done. Thanks for 47 years. Here's the coach. Uh, you know, let's move on. Wow. I would actually give that the ugly. Durant the bad. I think I'm with you. You know, as for the good, well, I don't know. I mean, can I give it uh, a little early? The the Jets acquiring Aaron Rodgers? No? Well, that's a proclamation that's not official, but, I mean, that's the word on the street. You know, the good, I guess, would be the three teams that earned the automatic spots in the NCAA tournament yesterday. Yeah. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, uh, Colgate, and Montana State. You want to do this other thing, though? Yeah, I'm yeah. ready for that. All right, let's do it. It's time for someone to take back this segment, if for no other reason than to stop David from talking about Meghan and Harry. Here's Moulton David Moulton. With Today was the day when. <laughs> nice. Uh, 1933, 90 years ago today, FDR calls Congress into special session, beginning the 100 days. You know, ever, they talk about when a president starts their presidency and what are they going to do in their first 100 days mm-hmm. of office? It started 90 years ago with FDR. Now, I got to admit, we're in the middle of the Great Depression. He said, eh, got to change some things around here can agree or disagree with the policies that he did but at least he went right to it and they plowed a lot through in those first hundred days uh babe ruth was offered a bunch of money by the reds on this day in 1936 to make a comeback he said no i'm good i am retired uh, the mexican baseball league on this day in 1946 offered Ted Williams half a million dollars to play in their baseball league. He had just come back from the war, his first war that he would fight in, by the way. And he was in his mid-20s, and the Mexican Baseball League offered him $500,000 to play in it. Do you know what the top player was making in Major League Baseball in 1946? Oh, it was DiMaggio, and he was the first one to make six figures. I was about to say, like 100000 Uh-huh. Yeah. And Teddy Ballgame was offered half a million dollars. I mean, to give you an idea, 20 years later, almost, Koufax and Drysdale were holding out on the Dodgers to each make a hundred grand. I mean, basically, this is LIV, right? Right. Is the Mexican Baseball <laughs> League saying we're going to give you half a million dollars in Teddy Ball game going, I, no, you're the Mexican Baseball League. I don't know what to tell you. Ted Williams has one of the best baseball reference pages in the history. His numbers are stupid. Well, the, his numbers are far better than that when you consider that he missed five, five full seasons due to serving in not one but two wars. <laughs> And he missed those five years when he was in his young prime and then old prime. After his fourth season. I have said quite a few times, you can make the argument he's the second greatest player of all time. Because I think you have to acknowledge Ruth is the best player of all time. For not only the numbers he put up, but for how obscenely beyond what anyone else had ever done in the history of the sport before him 
it you know no one's ever dominated a sport quite frankly the way Babe Ruth dominated baseball not even Tiger in golf not Jim Brown in the NFL no what Babe Ruth did when he was playing the most home runs in a seat the first time he led the league in home runs it was with 11 11 he would go on to hit 60 and 59 in two seasons <laughs> I mean, that's how what he did to the baseball record book was obscene. But Ted Williams, who doesn't have 3,000 hits, Ted Williams, who would have had 700 home runs if he had not served in two wars. And oh, by the way, he didn't just serve in two wars the way that others served in two wars. He was John Glenn's wingman in one of those two wars. He was a decorated pilot with a staggering number of combat missions. I'm, I'm fine with that. Top two baseball player of all. I he, mean, he would have had 3,600 hits and 711 home runs if you had taken the, the average numbers of his three years before he first went to war and then the three years after he first went to war. If you took his average numbers before and after he served and just plugged them in for five full seasons that he missed, think about that. 3,600 hits, 711 home runs? Yeah. How does Ruth have only one MVP? You could tell you're such an NBA fan. NBA fans are obsessed with MVP. Work. I mean, it's, it's the most valuable player. It's all an NBA fan is talking about nowadays is why <laughs> Djokovic winning his third, or not Djokovic, Joker. but Joker there winning Jokic. his third MVP. Which he deserves, by the way. Yeah, and it's all anybody in the league's talking about. And in all the other sports, nobody gives a damn about the <laughs> award. And the NBA is obsessed with it. All right, let me get through this quickly. Where was I? Um, 1959, the Barbie doll makes its debut today. Wow. Yeah, 64 years ago. 11 inches tall with a waterfall of blonde hair. There you go. Dan, Dan Rather becomes the primary anchorman today in 1981. U2 releases the Joshua Tree today in 87. George Burns died on this day in 96 at 100. All right. 1997, Notorious B.I.G. killed in Los Angeles 26 years ago today. 25 years ago today, Dr. Dre signs this rapper, Eminem. Mm. Um, Bobby Fischer was born on this day 80 years ago. Mike Leach would have been 62 today. Oh. Celebrating birthdays today, Burt Campanaris, Danny Sullivan, Mark D'Antonio, Linda Fiorentino. Watch Vision Quest. Get back to me. <laughs> Terry Mulholland, Benito Santiago. The Boz is 58 today. And that is today was the day one. Who's the Boz? O-M-G. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, Brian Bosworth. It's kind of a big deal in the mid to late 80s. Did that just make you feel old? Uh, yes. <laughs> and made me realize just how young you are. Yes. Come on. No, I'm serious. Well, okay. Is he like a... What is he? He was also a bit of a cultural phenomenon, so I'm a little surprised that at some point in time that you didn't hear of him. So feel free. 
Okay, look, I, as Logic Man saying in our Twitch chat room, Felipe, they did a 30 for 30 on the Boz. They did. Watch it. I, th- I actually think you'll love it. I actually think you'll love Brandon it. Brandon Boz? Brian Boz. Oh, Brian Boz. Please, stop while you're behind. So, okay, yeah. <laughs> stop while you're behind. All right, here we go. Got six games in the NBA tonight. Orlando's at home for Utah. The TNT double dip is Golden State Memphis early, no John Morant, and Knicks Sacramento late, a game that TNT added. Two weeks ago they said, we want to run the Knicks Sacramento game instead of whatever was originally scheduled. It's just the second time the Kings are on national television this year. By the way, for you Heat fans out there, Felipe, Brooklyn's at Milwaukee. You want Milwaukee to keep winning. You're three back of the Nets to try to get out of the play-in. Uh, 11 games in the NHL tonight. Lightning are home for Vegas. Some of the other headliners, Islanders and Penguins. Best player in the game, Connor McDavid. And best team in the game, Boston. And the LA Kings and Colorado Avalanche are facing one another. That could be a Western Conference Finals preview. Uh, college hoops, it's, it's a great day. I mean, it really is, and it starts early. Canes are playing at noon against Wake Forest. Rutgers, Michigan is at noon. Losers out. That we know for sure of not just the Big Ten tournament. Gators are playing Mississippi State at 1 o'clock. Mississippi State's a bubble team. And the Gators hoping for a Cinderella run. South Florida is playing East Carolina at 1230. FAU in action 630 tonight. I think if they win tonight, they're in. I don't think they can afford a first-round for them loss in the Conference USA Tournament. 6.30, FAU playing Western Kentucky. Penn State, Illinois at 6.30. Figure it's a play-in game for Penn State, right? Arkansas-Auburn at 7. Auburn with the wins probably in. Arizona State-USC at 11 o'clock. Arizona State probably gets in with a win. And if they do win, do they get USC dangerously close to the bubble i would like to think not usc's already beaten arizona state twice but who knows carolina virginia at seven o'clock we all know the tar heels need to make a big acc tournament run ucf in action against smu at 230 okay i just looked up who brian uh brian boss with this i do know who he is and i also remember a scene in the u 30 for 30 where didn't didn't the hurricanes like beat the crap out of him or something like that uh he got suspended for the national championship game because of steroid use uh, and uh they beat oklahoma to win the national title looks yep. like he took roids mm-hmm. he did miller and molten we'll be back at it tomorrow thanks for listening florida sports network